land tax, stamp duty, tenants. Sure, property is great, but there are easier ways to get your passive income, sometimes with franking credits. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in many different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including income-focused funds, which aim to provide yield-hungry investors with attractive income streams. Discover the BetaShares range of ETFs and how simple they can be to invest in by going to betashares.com.au. Read the relevant PDFs and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. This is a podcast by the RASC Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of the Rask Group. I'm Pete Wargent, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day, welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to become Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Pete Wargent, and today I'm joined by Amy Lunardi, top buyer's agent. Amy, how's things? Really good, and it was so good to see you and everyone else recently in Sydney, Pete. So I came up and you came down <laughs> for the roadshow. Yeah. It was yes, fabulous. we do uh, occasionally connect in real life as well as on podcasts. So uh, yeah, it was actually a fantastic event, great turnout over 200 people, which is um, good. It wasn't something we've been able to do for two or three years. So it's great to get uh, back together in person and do some live events. So that was fantastic. Yeah. And how's work going? Yeah, yeah. No, everything everything is ticking along. I think it's going to be quite busy between now. Now that footy fever has died down and it was all that everyone could talk about in Melbourne for a little while, that's all done and dusted. And I can between... vouch for that firsthand because I was one of those people uh, <laughs> yeah. down in Melbourne. Unfortunately, we had a few tears. Um, kids are big Brisbane Lions fans and it went right down to the final few minutes of the season but uh, just couldn't take the flag. But uh, oh it was gosh. actually great yeah. to see Melbourne buzzing again. You know, uh, everything packed out and uh, cafes, restaurants, uh, the trams were overflowing. So it's good because, um, you know, obviously there was a lot of debate about whether the cities would bounce back from COVID. And I, I, Personally, never doubted it, but it's good mm. good to uh, see it actually happening. So, oh, absolutely. Um, so, Amy, today we're going to talk about building and pest inspection. So, anyone who buys a house in Australia or often um, a unit or apartment as well uh, will have a think about building and pest inspections, what they mean, how they should operate, and um, what they can and can't do for you as part of the purchase process due diligence. So, um, well, let's start right from the top, shall shall we? So a building and pest inspection, Amy, you've done probably hundreds of these over the years, if not thousands. I would say thousands, yeah. Oh, well, I've been involved in oh, well over a thousand purchases. And for every property I've actually purchased for clients, you know, on average, we might have missed out on a couple of properties. And we do, well, I do get a building inspection for 999 five percent of properties we pursue sometimes the clients will choose not to and that's their decision as long as they've made an educated decision but a building and pest inspection is essentially 
what it sounds like, right? (laughs) It is someone coming to inspect that property and be able to then give you feedback and give you a report and have a chat to you about any issues that they find with that property. And the purpose of getting a building inspection, it's actually kind of multiple things. So for me, first of all, it's to establish if there's any deal breakers to begin with, because if there are, you might just decide that's it and you're not going to pursue that property any further at all. It's also to understand any upfront costs that you might need to factor in, especially costs that you need to pay straight away as soon as you move in. So if you're really stretching your budget to, you know, the upper limit, but then you have to pay five grand or 10 grand more, once you move in straight away for urgent repairs, you might need to factor that into your negotiations or your how much you're going to bid to. Sometimes you can negotiate repairs into a contract. Let's talk about that a little bit more later in the episode, actually, Pete. Um, but I think overall, it's just to give you a, a broad picture of the type of property you're buying, its condition, and can help you actually put a longer term maintenance plan in place to say, okay, well, the roof's in okay condition now, but it might need to be replaced in 10 years. I'm going to put some money aside for that each year. So I'm ready for that when it comes, because I don't know about you, Pete, but I don't get on my roof to check its condition. Uh, So by having that report, I can at least put a plan in place for the future. It's a sad state of affairs, but I actually do have to get on our roof. We have an issue oh, okay. with, uh, <laughs> with moss on there sometimes. But anyway, yes, you're right. A lot of people would never get on a roof and sometimes not even practical to do so. So I guess so in terms of what a building and pest inspection is going to cover then, so I guess under broad headings, you've got some major defects or deal breakers, which you touched on there. Then maybe some more minor defects, which um, are things which may need to be looked at in the course of time, but not necessarily deal breakers, then also potentially some safety hazards, which I think for a landlord buyer is probably um, a front of mind in terms of liability risk. So I guess the kind of things that might be classified as a major defect, I guess roof uh, repairs would be one that you already mentioned there. I guess any structurally uh, structural issues mm, or yeah. structurally related issues. Um, and obviously a building and pest inspection uh, something we know all about in southeast Queensland, termites or white ants, as they often call them informally. Uh, if there's been live termite activity, that's potentially something that could be very costly. So there are some things which might come under the heading of major defect that might even lead you to pull out from making a purchase if you think it's going to be very costly. Yeah, absolutely. Major defects mostly um, are to do with things that in- affect the structural integrity or may lead to issues which affect the structural integrity. For example, um, uh, water leaks or moisture or just anything to do with water, we want to look at straight away because left unchecked water can really lead to major issues going forward. It can lead to movements in the foundation and cracking and just, yeah, really impact the structural integrity of that property. So they can often be classed as major defects. But sometimes you might have no major defects Or sometimes you might have a major defect, but it's actually not that bad once you chat to the inspector and because they have to classify things in certain ways um, legally. Um, Or other times you might have many, many minor defects, but they all add up. So you might have, you know, tens of thousands worth of minor defects, which also, you know, they're not technically major, but they're major for you because they are quite costly. 
this is actually a really important thing to be aware of because depending on where you are and what contract you sign, the standard building inspection contract here in Victoria says that um, for that building inspection clause that you can only withdraw based on major structural defects. And I try to not use that clause. I actually have my own clause that most of the time I manage to get put in because, again, I want to give myself, first of all, some leeway to withdraw in case there are a bunch of minor ones that add up and also, um, yeah, just just to give myself like a, a little bit of discretion on my end. That's really important to understand the contract that you're signing and the wording of that clause. That does make sense because some people are time poor and even what might be a minor defect for one person um, if there's a whole series of things that need to be fixed, if you haven't got the time or inclination or the funding to do it, that could itself become a deal breaker. Um, and as you mentioned there, sometimes um, risks have to be classified in a building inspection report. So I think in terms of things like safety hazards, um, so I think uh, balconies are sometimes uh, things that get flagged as a potential risk area in a building and pest report. And uh, uneven steps, I think, uh, for a, a landlord or a rental type property, uh, you don't want to be hit with a liability claim if somebody trips on some e uneven stairs. Um, so you mentioned there potentially, uh, Amy, being able to circle back to the uh, building and pest inspector to actually talk through some of the points that they raise. Um, so it's not just a question of getting a report and reading it. You also ideally want to discuss some of those risks or defects with the person who's actually prepared the report. This is so, so important because it puts everything into context. The inspectors have to cover themselves from an insurance and a legal liability point of view by putting so much stuff in there and all of these disclaimers. But once you actually chat to them, they can put everything into perspective. And in some situations, the report or the, the condition of that property might be nowhere near as dire as that the photos and everything make it seem. So... I always use or prefer to use building inspectors who are happy to have a chat with you about the report. In the past, I have, you know, spoken, sometimes clients will have their own preferred inspector and I'll say to them, do you provide a verbal debrief? And they say no. And I find that very unhelpful. Um, so I think before you hire a building inspector, just say, will you have a chat with me after that? But bear in mind that they're not necessarily going to be able to answer questions like how much is this going to cost to fix? They may be able to give you a ballpark potentially, but you can't necessarily rely on that, especially if you're asking them a question about, you know, how much is it going to cost to replace these gutters? And they're not a plumber or they've never replaced gutters before. Um, so the building inspectors I work with, they can in some cases give me very much ballparks. They know that I'm not going to rely on that and hold it to them. Um, but if they can't, they'll say to me, no, I, I have no idea how much this is going to cost. Go and speak to this kind of person to get an idea of that. That does make sense. The reason I mentioned uh, balconies, uh, we used to buy um, about 10 or 12 years ago, quite a lot of Victorian terraces in Sydney and places like Surrey Hills or Paddington, Bondi Junction. And balconies would always be flagged on a building and pest report. You've had a property that's been there 120 years and it might be there for another 100 years. Um, clearly, over a long enough time frame, anything could become a risk and these things are flagged as a matter of course. I think that's where a verbal explanation can really come into its own. Uh, is this a real risk I, I need to know about 
in the immediate future or is it just something that's being put there as a um, a CYA clause for want yeah, of a better yeah. phrase uh, <laughs> to cover people's uh, liability <laughs> risk in the future. Yeah. So you mentioned, Amy, um, that 99.5% of the time you get a building and pest inspection, but sometimes clients decide not to do them. Are there any types of properties you wouldn't bother with a building and pest report? For example, if it was a property that was going to be, I don't know, demolished and subdivided, or are there times when you wouldn't bother um, with a well, building you- and pest or would you always go for it? I mean, if you're going to knock it down, of course, you you wouldn't bother doing that. Um, But for me, I would get a building inspection on every single property, regardless of its age, regardless of where it is, the type of property, even brand new properties. And it's very, very rare, but I have sometimes inspected brand new properties and they've had like significant enough defects in them that we've not pursued them. But in most cases for brand new properties, there's just a lot of minor defects. And that's just come down to a slightly lazy or, um, you know, developer that's got to the very end and the trades have just sort of like slapped everything on at the end. And in which case that's, that's um, those situations quite often I can actually negotiate those things to be repaired prior to settlement because it is a brand new property. Um, but yeah, I, I'll get it on absolutely all types of properties, even ones which you walk through and you're like, this seems so solid. It's double brick. It's just an apartment. Shouldn't have any problems. What I find our building inspectors pick up mostly with properties like that is things to do with moisture, things that you can't see unless you're walking around with a moisture meter. I've got one in my handbag actually, but I wouldn't expect you to. Um, but you know, things like the shower leaking, which you, you cannot see. So that's just something to bear in mind. Even if a property seems like it's in great condition, the building inspector's job is to find things that you can't see. I think on a long enough timeline, you do probably see everything. I remember once we looked at buying a replica Queensland, a modern composite material build in um, Brisbane, and um, the building and pest inspector found asbestos in it, and we were like, "Well, this is a modern, it's a it's a modern property. What the hell? How did going they get on? their hands on that? <laughs> well, they and they obviously built around a part of an old dwelling that couldn't be removed or something. So, right. yeah, and it, yeah. the building we never would have thought, you know, mm. when we and of course the real estate agent feigned ignorance and uh, I'll be damned sort of uh, response. But yeah, I guess you just don't know um, sometimes what's yeah. in the structure of a building. As you said, moisture can be a big risk, especially. Um, as I mentioned, some of those old Victorian terraces, you will get some moisture and uh, it's good to know what you're buying, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, the, yeah, the short answer there is get a building inspection regardless. You might not need a pest inspection if you're buying an apartment. Um, so, you know, if you're especially buying an, an apartment, you know, it's it's brick apartment and it's on the third floor, like you don't need a pest inspection. Um, but if it's on the ground floor and it's got a little courtyard and it's got a deck and, you know, depending on where you are, then you might consider it. So maybe just have a chat to the building and pest inspector and ask their opinion. Most building and pest, sorry, most inspectors in Melbourne here that I come across do pest inspections and they're already trained and qualified for that. Um, but just double check when you're hiring someone to see if they can also do that for you as well or if you need to get a separate person for your pest inspection. Just as an aside, on a strata title property, Amy, there's some limitation there in terms of what a building inspection report can achieve. If it's just looking at the interior of the one apartment in the block that you're buying, presumably the building inspector is not going to get out there across all the units in the block and get out onto the roof and the common areas. So um, I guess um, while you still might use a building inspection, 
uh, you would still need to do your full due diligence on the whole body corporate, the whole Stratus scheme, um, in case there are other risks um, relating to the building or insurance that you haven't thought about. Yeah, absolutely. So your inspector will just be looking at your particular dwelling or your particular unit. They won't be commenting on the the common property or anywhere else. I mean, I've had inspectors sometimes say to me, hey, Amy, I noticed a really large crack, you know, on the outside of the building. Maybe just double check that with the OC. So, but that, that's not what they are engaged to do. So all the more reason why it's up to you to have really thorough discussions with the body corporate manager if you can do that. Not all body corporate managers will speak to you. I believe in New South Wales, it's not really a common thing, um, but we certainly do that. And then also getting, you know, the history, doing a strata report, getting previous minutes, which should capture anything in there, which could determine um, more major issues with common property, which have happened historically, or which may be a consideration in the future. I've just was helping a client recently where um, the body corporate were already discussing a full replacement of all of the sewerage lines, reconcreting the driveways. Um, it was going to be quite a significant cost, but we managed to uncover that um, through chatting to the, the body corporate manager and going back through the historical minutes of that block. Indeed. And um, yeah, we've even seen previously uh, a building inspection just in a single apartment, but still finding things like asbestos in cupboards or things that you wouldn't have expected to be there given the age of the block. So definitely worth considering in all circumstances. So in terms of the actual purchase process, Amy, you, you're wanting to do uh, this or to get engaged with a building inspector at the outset of the process, I guess, so well in advance of actually getting to the point of uh, signing a contract um, and pulling the trigger. Yeah, so if you are if you find a property and you like it and you say this is one I want to pursue, I would always start off by doing the things that don't cost you any money. So that is figuring out how much that property is worth, doing your comparable sales analysis to make sure that you can actually afford it or that you have a chance of being able to afford it. Maybe getting your contract reviewed. Sometimes legal reps will charge for that, sometimes they don't. Doing your council checks, strata checks, all of those free things that you can kind of do on the couch. And then getting your building inspection done because that is a sunk cost if you are unsuccessful with that property. And then you can make a decision on when you want to do that. For example, if the property is going to auction in four weeks and the agent has said it's a thousand percent going to auction, you might decide to do that inspection closer to the auction um, if you've got a few other contenders. Or you might say, no, get this over and done with so that I can rule it out if there's problems or that I can follow up extra inspections um, or quotes, et cetera, if I need to, to give yourself time. But for an auction, you will need to get your building inspection done beforehand because as we, well, not everyone knows this, but auctions are unconditional. You can't get a building inspection later. But if you want to buy a property via private sale, you're going to have to make a decision on whether you'll get your building inspection up front or you make your offer subject to a building inspection. This is going to be a little bit state specific or state dependent because I believe in some other states it's pretty common to just have your offer subject to this. Is that what 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 would be the norm, I guess, Pete, or is there is there a norm in Queensland? More common in Brisbane or Queensland to make an offer subject to finance and subject to building and pest inspection. I would think in a very competitive Sydney market, um, you might be 
Uh, might be wishful thinking that a vendor is going to agree to that, though. So it really depends on, um, yes, where you're buying in the country and what the normal course of action is. Also, the, the market cycle plays a difference. If the market's red hot, then the vendors may, may not want to hang around waiting for you to uh, have a building and pest inspector go through with a fine tooth comb. And they might be uh, countenancing multiple offers. Um, but yeah, in, in the normal course of affairs in Brisbane, you'd make the offer subject to building and pest. Um, mm -hmm. And then you'd have maybe 10 business days to go through that process. Uh, not necessarily the case everywhere, though. No, well, certainly in Melbourne, I there's pros and cons of doing one prior or making your offer subject to with a private sale. The benefit of getting one up front is so that, first of all, you know what you're dealing with and you can factor in any repairs or costs into your negotiations and how much you're willing to spend because it can be more challenging once you've purchased a property subject to a building inspection to then renegotiate later. Not impossible, but more challenging. Um, and then by getting it done up front as well, you are also just reducing the amount of conditions in your contract. You are making your offer more appealing. You can then sometimes have more negotiating power. And especially if you're in a situation with competition, the fewer clauses you have in your contract, the better, the more competitive you are. But the downside is if you miss out, you've wasted, say, $600 and it's really, really annoying. So you just need to have a lot of thorough conversations with the agent and weigh all of that up. Quite often if a property is off market and I know there's no urgency and I know that maybe the vendor's a bit high on price or for whatever reason, I make it subject to a building inspection until I get to the point where I feel like maybe it's worthwhile getting it up front. Um, but if I've got no competition and if I'm confident that there's no risk of doing it afterwards, I'll do that as well. That makes sense. Now, you mentioned the importance, Amy, of verbal communication with a building inspector. So I've got a tripartite question for you here. Or, tripartite? I haven't or heard that word. is it a triumvirate of questions? Anyway, there's three of them. I don't them. even know what those words mean. <laughs> <laughs> a trio is probably a better word. Uh, so here, here they are. So firstly, what sort of questions would you ask uh, the building inspector before you engage them? Secondly, do you actually go along to the building and pest inspector and sit on their shoulder chirping? <laughs> questions um or do you just let them get on with it and then thirdly once the building and pest report is done what what are the questions you should be asking the uh, building inspector about the report so if that's not too long a question or a series of them. questions <laughs> yeah so firstly what do, you, what do you ask them before you engage so i would ask them if they do that verbal debrief after afterwards um, I'd also have a chat to them about their turnaround. So ideally, especially if you're in a time pressure situation, you want to get the report and feedback within 24 hours. Um, and then I'd also just ask them a little bit about their background because a building inspector doesn't necessarily have experience building properties. They don't necessarily have any kind of trade experience like being a carpenter or a plumber or anything. They might not even have, you know, hammered a nail into the wall before, but they've done their building inspector inspection license. So it's not vital for them to have any kind of practical experience. Um, there's certainly plenty of building inspectors out there who I'm sure are very, very good at their job. But the ones that I use, one of them has a building background. He was a registered builder before and built properties. And the other one's a carpenter. So they just have that bit of extra experience which I think really, really helps when they're giving advice and also giving recommendations as well. 
So that's just an extra question to ask so that you understand what their qualifications or background is. Um, but then the second part of your question is, no, I would not suggest generally attending with the building inspector only because you do want them to focus on what they're doing. But if you want to go and if you've preempted that with the agent and with the building inspector, then that is okay as well. It's not like I've a seen it. hard note. On occasion where somebody wants to make an unconditional offer and they want to do it quickly, they think, well, if I could go around with a building inspector and if you can show me any defects in real time and we can make a judgment call on mm. them, um, when time is really of the essence, that it might be of benefit to be there just to just to get the job done as quickly as possible without having yeah. to wait for the full uh, written report. So uh, it's not the norm, but yes, I have, have seen it on occasion. Yeah, absolutely. And then what I tend to do with my building inspectors is once they've gone through the property, I'll have a quick high level debrief with them. Um, and that's just to really understand any kind of major things I need to be aware of really quickly. But generally what will happen is ideally you should get the building inspection report back first. So you've got context when speaking to them. Um, otherwise, if time is of the essence, maybe have that initial chat first, then read the report and then clarify any further questions. So really what you're trying to achieve out of that is understanding what the biggest ticket items are, which you need to be aware of, which may need to be fixed or, you know, whether it's now or in the future. And if you can get a ballpark price, that's great. Um, and if you can't, maybe saying to the inspector, um, who would you recommend that I speak to to get a more accurate price of this, if that's something that you need to factor in. Um, and then just understanding what maybe the longer term things are. So breaking down, you know, when would I need to do this? How urgent things are? Because, you know, the idea of maybe getting a new roof, which is say, you know, 15 grand, whatever it could be, if that needs to be done tomorrow, that's going to impact your decision more than if the inspector says, well, this needs to be done in the next seven to eight years. So the time frames are really, really important here. You did actually mention there, Amy, uh, a level of experience or background. Um, so presumably a building inspector that you would look for, you wouldn't be looking for the cheapest or the least cost. You'd be looking for somebody with the appropriate level of experience, ideally uh, with a recommendation from somebody. I guess you you have your favorites that you use already. But if you were a buyer um, and you didn't know about where to find a building inspector, um, what should you do? Look for a recommendation, jump on Google. How would you go about it? Yeah, it's. I guess it's one of those things like with anything when you're trying to find property professionals, recommendations are great. Uh, Google reviews are great. There's a certain, there's only a certain, um, I guess, uh, extent that you can go because your friend might have got a building inspection done, but it's hard because maybe they've only been in that property for six months and the building inspectors missed something and they won't know about it for a couple of years. So, you know, they, they're really only commenting on their experience in that particular report and how that person dealt with them. Um, whereas I think Google reviews are good because maybe they just cover a longer time span. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's what I would sort of start off by doing is referrals where it can be a little bit more. Hmm. This is, this is sort of like a bit of a hard one is where the uh, agent recommends a building inspector. Um, not to suggest all agents will do this, but I, I do know of some agents who have in the past referred certain inspectors who they know are a bit more lenient. Hmm. 
and that's not ideal. <laughs> that's the real estate industry. Well, you've all you've almost preempted, Amy, my next question, which is what happens in this scenario? You turn up to an open home, let's say there's a property going to auction, and you say, oh, are there any issues with the property? And the real estate agent says, don't worry about that. We've had a building and pest inspection report done. You can buy it for, let's say, 200 bucks, uh, cheaper than you would normally pay. And there's no issues, um, so don't worry about it. Would you place reliance on that report that had been prepared by a building inspector for the vendor and for the real estate agent, or would you just get your own done anyway? Well, at the end of the day, a building inspector does have liability, right? They are still out there needing to maintain a level of standard and they have insurance in place for if things go wrong and, you know, you could go down the civil um, uh, action if there is a, a problem and you need to pursue them, like, legally, but you don't want to have to do that. You don't want to have to go down that path. Um, but I know a couple of building inspectors who do do those reports where they've done it for the vendor and they on-sell them. And I know those inspectors. I've used them before and I'm happy with those. So it's not always a case of saying, danger, danger, don't buy those reports. Mm. I wish there was a more black and white answer here. But I would say if you have your own person who maybe your friends have used or they really come really highly reviewed, Maybe just use them instead if time and budget permits. That was really the reason I was keen to explore the question because I don't think it's a yes or no mm. answer. I've used them in the past. Um, sometimes if a property looks like it might have issues, um, you might just want for peace of mind to get somebody else to go through and give you a full inspection opinion that that is third party. So, um, you know, yeah. case by case basis, I guess. Whatever you do, maybe don't get your building inspector off TikTok because I know some that are on there that I know in real life that are not so good. <laughs> I don't even have a TikTok account. I'm not even like... going to elaborate on that further, <laughs> but if you're on TikTok, you might know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not. I know you're a, a keen advocate of the platform, Amy, but... Uh... Oh, I don't post there. I just watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm too too old for all of that stuff myself. So, uh, and um, so, all right, let's, we're getting towards the uh, the the uh, the crunch point of the conversation. So um, there's a couple of other things. So yes, you mentioned uh, repairs uh, costs or repairs coming up or defects that might need fixing. Um, and you, you might want to factor this into your negotiation, but you don't really know how much a repair is going to cost. And as you said, a building inspector may not provide a quote or a range. So what do you do there? Do you get somebody else to quote you? Yeah, sometimes. And this can be tricky because uh, in property, sometimes you need to do things really quickly and if you want to get a plumber out to quote or an electrician or, or whoever they might not be free for a week or two or three especially if it's just a quote and they're prioritizing other jobs so this can be hard um, sometimes you can provide photos or you might have a friend of a friend who's a plumber that can give you a ballpark but just be aware that if you are speaking to the inspector they're not always going to be able to say okay to repair that leaking shower is going to be $5,400. You know, they they can't necessarily give you that information. It's a good point, actually. And uh, I guess there's uh, a couple of things there. One is um, the potential limitations on a building inspection because it's not going to be able to cover everything. And I guess running off that, are there other inspections that you may need? For example, plumbing or electrical or something that's not not necessarily covered by the building and pest inspection? Yeah, so the building inspection, they will have quite a few limitations and they because they generally don't extend to checking the plumbing and checking the electricals. So they're not going to put 
a pipe through all of the plumbing and see the condition of all of the pipes. And especially with much older properties, this can be more relevant. If they do see anything which could signify further issues, maybe they'll suggest that you consider further inspections. But we have in the past have then got plumbers out to put cameras down pipes. We have had structural engineers come out to properties because the building inspector says, look, this could be an issue. It may or may not be. It's beyond the scope of my experience. And then I've got a structural engineer out. That sounds very expensive, but the ones I've found sort of charge around that seven or $800 mark. That's been invaluable because I've had a few done where they say, look, this looks worse than it is. It's actually fine. And then I've also got a moisture expert on on tap, I'll call him. <laughs> I call him up whenever I've got something which is a problem with moisture that I need further advice on. So these are people that I've got, you know, on speed dial, I guess. Um, but you might not necessarily have that. So all the more reason why maybe give yourself a little bit of extra time, especially if it's an older property or a property which you can see probably could have issues to then get further inspections if you choose to do so. That makes a lot of sense. So just to pull that together then, Amy. So, so essentially, if you're buying a property in Australia, we'd recommend that um, you get a building and pest inspection done. And what that's going to cover is, I guess, well, three things really. It's this major defects, potential deal breakers or something that could be very expensive, but also potentially some minor defects as well, things that you might need to fix either now or in the future. And then any potential safety hazards, which I think if, if you're buying a, a rental property or an investment property, that could prove to be important. Um, and then um, I guess to engage early with the building and pest inspector and be able to um, discuss with them verbally any issues that are arising. Yeah, exactly. And I think I'll just also uh, finish by saying a further limitation of building inspections is that they cannot necessarily comment on absolutely everything. There might be lots of furniture in that property. There might be lots of rubbish and stuff underneath the property. There might not be in a manhole to climb into the roof. If it's double story, they might not be able to get onto the roof. They might not be able to get into the subfloor. So a building inspector will comment on as much as they can. But like with a lot of things with buying property, there will still be residual risks, especially if they've had a lot of limitations throughout that inspection. So that really, all the more reason why you have to have those thorough conversations with them about, okay, what couldn't you see and what could the risks there be so that you can make an educated decision on whether you're willing to take on those risks. There's no such thing as being completely risk-free with a lot of property decisions, but when it comes to building inspections, absolutely you need to keep that in mind. That's uh, perfectly summarised. Thanks, Amy. So uh, last time I saw you, you were hanging out at the trendy end of Surrey Hills in Sydney. What have you got on the weekend? Any big <laughs> auctions or big open homes to get to? I've got, you know what, this weekend I've got three auctions on for the same client. Wow. So that's going to be a big weekend. She's not even going to come along. She just said, text me a thumbs up or a thumbs down as to how we go. Um, but yeah, that's my weekend. And one on a Sunday as well, because it's in a part of Melbourne where they only do auctions on Sundays. So I've got I've got a seven day week this week, Pete. Good Certainly fun. Certainly <laughs> earn your price as a buyer's agent. Yes, the, the stress involved in going to multiple auctions in one weekend. Um, that's a lot of value add there that uh, you're providing <laughs> for your clients. So uh, thanks, Amy. That's brilliant. And if people want to catch you uh, for some more info, where should they go for more? 
Oh, so to find me, uh, amylenardi.com.au, that's my buyer's agency business. We've also got a first home buyer online course specifically for Victorians, which is the first home guidebook.com.au. And how about you, Pete? Where can we find you? Uh, usually on Twitter, at Pete Fortune or my <laughs> not daily <TikTok>. blog. <laughs> Certainly not TikTok. Eh? I think I'm on Instagram though. But uh, yeah, Pete Wardian Blogspot's my daily blog. And if you've got any questions at all that you'd like us to cover in the Australian Property Podcast, do shoot us a line. We've got a link in the show notes below. And um, yeah, we'd definitely like to try and cover whatever's hot and whatever you want us to talk about. So uh, thanks for joining. And thanks so much, Amy. I'll look forward to chatting again soon. See you, Pete. Bye. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.